Well, I am excited this week. Oh my word, am I excited this week. He took Brookside by storm. He took Hollyoaks by storm. He took America by storm. And now he's taken the Royal Court and England by storm. The reviews were ridiculous for Boys in the Black stuff. And I'm delighted to say I'm with Barry Sloan. How's that for an intro? Pretty impressive. I don't know what I don't know what I can do to uh, to boost it. I appreciate. I'll give you the cash later. Um, you haven't you changed. Much. Well, as you know, it's, it's decent makeup. A bit of LA sun helps. Is that what it is? I think That's so. What... Yeah, it must be. Yeah, first of all, let's start with um, uh, the boys in the black stuff. Yeah. What made you come back and do this? Because I know you get a million offers. So yeah. why this? Well, it's always been an incredibly important piece for me as as a scouser, obviously, um, and it's been a piece that I've always passed on to actors that I've worked with. Um, just from a story perspective and also from an acting point of view, it's just like I think, you know, everyone's performance in the show is incredible. So anyone I work with, I'm like, you need to watch this. Or anyone's especially in America, where are you from? I say, well, <clears throat> if you want to see the benchmark of where I'm from, what I grew up into, because I was born in 1981. So I say, well, this is where it began for me. This is the city I was born into. It gives them a good, a, a good ratio. So Alan Bleasdale, you don't need to have a second thought about working with him. Um, James Graham being involved as well, easy. So, Boys from the Black stuff being put on in Liverpool, uh, it wasn't a second. What's nice about it is, and I'll say this to you um, without blowing smoke, you've taken the theatre, and it's taken the theatre to another level. It's an incredibly successful theatre anyway, Mm -hmm. but this is another level. The national newspapers, the press, the reviews, you must be overwhelmed. Yeah, absolutely thrilled with it. I mean, we knew we were bringing something special. Um, we knew the piece was something special. Um, with it being in a full Scouse cast, you know, on a daily basis, um, makes me incredibly emotional that we get to bring it and, and deliver it here. Um, and we're thrilled. And it was one of my goals to, to elevate this, this, this city again and get the, get the national spotlight back on the theatre from this city, you know. You talk about the 1980s where this is set, you know, the Everyman in the Playhouse and the, the repertory uh, groups that were coming out of there even into the 90s. Um, and we need to get that back in, working-class theatre, for a, a city that needs its story told and continuing to be told. Um, it's an honour, it really is. Were you frightened at all that it might have dated? Um, no, I was excited about it. I knew that it would be as relevant um, unfortunately, as it was when it was made. You know, it's a different type of crisis, but it's the same thing. So I knew people would understand it. Um, And also, you know, taking back, for me, what it is, the the scouseness that we're selling, you know, it's annoyed me over the years of, of, you know, if you remember, not to diss anyone, but when this came out, you know, it was an incredibly powerful piece of work, and then it was taken by someone called Harry Enfield, who's not from this area, and kind of made into a bit of a joke. Um, that always pissed me off. And I did work with Harry at one point. He's a very lovely man, very talented man. He's made a lot of money out of it. But it kind of took away from the importance of relevance of that story and turned it into a, a clown. And um, so it was important to take some, something like Yosa Hughes and give it the power back and the, and, and, and the pathos that, that it had originally. Do you know Bernard at all? I don't. It? I don't. I know his work. Um, and I've studied him, obviously, um, in prep for this. Um, and he's been in as well. He was in during previews, so I've now done it for 
I was thrilled to work for him. Um, Alan Bleasdale did a movie called No Surrender. I'm not an actor, I'm not a moviegoer, but I played a has-been gay comic who dies on his arse. It's called (laughs) typecasting. (laughs) (laughs) And the greatest line from it is, I go and I die on my arse. I really do die on my arse. And they did it, so I did. And it was horrendous. And I came off and I say to Bernard, who's the doorman, don't judge a book by his cover. And he says, it's all right, I don't read. Brilliant. That was, that is, that a Bleasdale? is that a Bleasdale? That's unbelievable. Yes. Unbelievable. He's just, he's just a wonderful writer, yeah. isn't he? You know, it was a gift for Bernard, um, that character, and it's a gift for me this time round. You know, you got to remember at the heart of everything of what Bernard did and what I'm doing now, it's Alan Bleasdale. It's his brain that you're living in. It's his character he created. Um, if it wasn't for Alan... No one would care. If it wasn't for Bernard, no one would care that what I'm doing now. And so uh, both of those men are important. What I love is, and I was nervous to see what I was going to uh, experience. Mm-hmm. It did take my breath away. It also depressed me because mm-hmm. I lived through those yes. days, which was horrendous, which is what theatre is about. You have given Yoza a different slant, and I'm thrilled. It's Thank a you. different style, but it's still Yoza. Well, I think, I think naturally I would have to. I mean, as I say, I was born in 1981, so I'm a different generation of man. Um, but what is, what is interesting is, you know, Bernard, I think, approached this when he was just coming up to 40 or around 40. Um, and I'm hitting this around exactly the same age as he did. So we're coming in with the same age on us um, in our careers or whatever, um, but, but a very different generation of, of men. And, and I've done a lot. Well, tried to do a lot throughout my career for, for male mental health. You know, I've, I've lost family members to, to suicide and not been able to deal with the, the stresses and strains. And it's not just a male problem, obviously, but if you look at the numbers alone, statistically, it speaks for itself that we have a problem about opening up and speaking. Um, and my generation is slightly better than that than perhaps Bernard's generation, where it's talking about my father's generation, my grandfather's generation. And so maybe we've got a different slant on that emotion or that, that emotion is slightly more accessible to me than perhaps it was even to Bernard, the way he played the character. So I've opened him up a little bit and he's got, you know, a new slant to him that way. But, but the rage is there and the truth is there and the, and the power is there, you know. Without spoiling it for anybody, uh, I will say one of these scenes that... Well, several scenes that freak me out and shows the quality and the, the uh, ingenuity of your acting abilities was when you talk to your kids, which aren't there. Mm. And that, that just blew me away. Yeah. It was just, it, it's just, because it, you, you, you're wondering where this is going. And then, of course, you realise what a complex man he is. Yeah. Let's leave this aside for a moment. Mm. Who's Barry Sloan? Where the hell did it all start? Oh, for me, oh, it was amazing. You know, I was, um, I was and am a, a musician. That was my, that's where I was starting out. You know, I was in bands from when I was 13, 14. I was playing the cavern most Saturday afternoons, pound a pint, um, up there doing Beatles covers and things like that. And I um, was in it for years. And they, we were rehearsing at the rehearsal studio in town and, and, some, produ- some producers, casting directors were, were going around. They, they were making a Beatles film in '99, and they were they were looking for actor musicians. Um, so they came in and they were, you know, said, "Come and do this one." Went in for that one. Um, Can you I remember made, the first one? Well, I mean, it was funny. But I'd been I'd been away to I think where was it? it was something like maybe uh, Tenerife or something like that on a lad's holiday, and I came back. Um, at the airport, and my dad picked me up in the car and he said, you're going to an open audition at um, 
the, the liner hotel was the one at the one yeah, at yeah behind the uh, station yeah so your dad was supportive 100 percent. yeah yeah they've never i'm the third the only one in my family to do this you know there's not been any actors in the family before um and you know up until my kids i don't know if there'll be any, any others but um yeah they took me there and said go on go in you gotta play go 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 and audition for john lennon brought the guitar in the car i come from the airport a little bit hungover went and queued up went in for john Lennon. didn't get john lennon but i did get to play ivan vaughan the man who introduced john to paul in this movie called In His Life, The John Lennon Story. So that, that was the first ever job? That was it, in 1999. That was my first professional job. And then, uh, a couple of years later, again, I was in the band, and it was the Echo Art Awards, and we were nominated for Best Band or something. And we were a bit noisy and a bit raucous in the VIP room or whatever. And Phil Redmond noticed us going mad, I was knocking drinks over and being a bit leery. And then an audition came up for a new family in Brookside, and I went in... <clears throat> Went in for it and I got to put one with Phil Redmond and he said, were you in that band that was pissing around and going nuts on that table next to us at the Echo Art? I said, oh yeah, I was, even I thought so. And then, uh, forever grateful to Mr Redmond. He gave Did me you know job. Brookside? I knew Brookside, yeah, of course. It was huge for me at the time. I remember when I got the gig, you know, sat in, in the middle of, you know, Ron Dixon and Mike Dixon at the time and just being like, this is mad, you know? And that's when the world started to open up for me, really. I didn't, you know, I didn't know what was going to happen and I've been very much like that with my entire life. I, I trust in the universe, I trust in the process, and I let things unfold in front of me. Did you want to go musically that direction, or were you quite happy over the acting? I was always, I was always the frontman of the band, so I was always a performer. Um, I, was, I was more of a performer than I was anything else. When I look back at it, you know, I was always in punk bands and throwing my guitar on the stage and smashing things up and you know, generally trying to show off a little bit, which makes sense. So it, it, it makes sense now, it's clear, and the guy, one of my teachers at music college was like, you know, I think there's quite possibly some more talented musicians in this room, but you're the only one I see who will definitely have a career on the stage. Wow, you know? that's a nice thing to say. Yeah, that's a so nice he thing called to say. it, so he knew. So did you ever, as you said, you, you feel about the universe and it helps you, mm -hmm. but did you ever think you would get to where you are today? Um, I always backed myself, I always, always had this, I always had this feeling that I, that I would succeed looking back, and which is positive manifestation, which I'm big on now. I didn't know what it was at the time, but I always thought, like, front foot forward, push through. Like, I look back at the younger me who walked into auditions fearlessly and won on occasion, and I want to give him a hug now when I see him. Do you know what I mean? I think, fucking hell, he, was, he had it. He had some confidence there to walk in there without any qualification, without any, you know, training or background at the time, and... You know, I'm, I'm very grateful to that version of me that did that. Let's stop there over that comment you just made, which is really interesting. What upsets me in this day and age, and you've got an opinion, because I know you love to speak your mind. Mm -hmm. All these wannabes, these unbelievable... <laughs> Big Brother, etc., etc., they have no idea the work that goes into being Barry Sloan. There's one example. Yeah, like, well, I, think, I think it's just a passion. I think people aspire for happiness overall, I think. I think every human is looking for that peace, peace of mind, peace in themselves. And we, we as a society, or, or we've been told as a society, that fame will get you there. And one of the things that I, I know to be true with, with the relative amount of success I've had is it doesn't really fix anything. It's not going to solve anything in your day-to-day -day life notoriety, fame, success, money. Um, you've got to do the work on yourself. 
And, and a lot of people get disappointed by thinking that the, the quick shortcut is to get maximum exposure as quickly as possible. And there's a new, there's a, you know, the new generation from mine has got a new way of fame now. You can, you know, you can create your own stuff now. It's quite an exciting time as a creative in that you can make your own short films, you can make your own TV shows, you can make your own podcast, radio shows. You know, the game is massively open. There's really no excuse anymore. It, it was harder, certainly for yourself to break before, before my generation to, to get a break in the, in the entertainment industry was even more difficult. So the, the graft you have to put in is different. But talent is the same, and, and talent will out, I believe. And I've seen, I've witnessed that in my own career and, and, and the career of actors I've worked with. You know, eventually, someone gets there, you know. How long were you in Brookside for? Uh, 2002 to its end in 2003, so maybe, maybe like a year and a half tops. I think it was about 45 episodes all in. So you're part of history because it was revolutionary. Oh, Phil stayed and put his money where his mouth is, stayed in Liverpool, didn't go to London, could have gone a million times. Yep. And I, as a late-night radio presenter, lived off the stories. And oh I God. always remember straight away Max Farnham, Stephen Pinder, yeah. uh, with a Down syndrome child. Yeah. I had weeks of people coming on my show. Mm. So it was very relevant, wasn't it? Yeah, it was, yeah. It was incredible. And you know what? He gave opportunities to a lot of... Um, young Scouse actors, um, and I'm, I'm forever grateful for that. You know, and that's something that I really want to do um, with this city in whichever way I can going forward, is to create opportunity and to get people who might not find the arts as an option. God knows the powers that be at the moment are trying to stop that being an option, because you can jump class, you see. You can move up quick. Um, and he did that for a lot of people, you know, because we haven't really got that now. I mean, Hollyoaks is still here, but... Um, you know, Brookside really was a place where you could come in with your accent and, and be you yeah. and sell what was exciting about this city. And so, yeah, a lot of people are eternally grateful to him. Yeah. What was the gap between Brookside and Hollyoaks? Oh, God, years. Long. Yeah, I finished in, well, I finished in 2003 and then I didn't do that till... It's funny, it's funny about Hollyoaks because it, it shows what a, what a powerful character it was. I actually only did about eight and a half months' work on Hollyoaks total on the show. Um, it was a very quick hit. Um, but a very memorable character. And, and it's work that I'm really, really proud of, you know. Um, he was an absolute psychopath, but of a lunatic. But was he, because I never watched Hollyoaks, mm -hmm. but I remember, I don't know why, I watched your episode. Was yeah. it a church or was it Yeah, we blew, we blew yeah. a church. Well, I mean, yeah. you know, in, I can in, see in you a, now. In the very melodramatic yeah. way that, that but, soaps can do. We blew up a incredible. church with all his siblings in. Yeah, it was, you know what, I, I've never, I don't know, and you, you, know, you saw the play the other week, I don't know how to do anything other than with everything that I have <clears throat> in me. That's it. Well, uh, I'll just reiterate on that because I was exhausted at the end of, uh, of Yozza and yeah. the whole production. And by the way, you've surrounded yourself with an awful lot of talent. My God, the casting, this is incredible. It's absolute, 10 absolute powerhouses, you know. Um, each and every one of them carrying, you know, half the cast carrying more than four roles each, you know, and seamlessly going between them. Um, you know, this show is a true ensemble piece and it would not hold up without each one of us. That's know, a nice thing to say. Weight, you know what I yeah. mean? I'm talking to Barry Sloan. Why America? And what was the decision? Well, or, or were you poached? Well, no, what, what happened was I, I did a... Um, right after... Well, there was a little bit of gap after I finished Hollyoaks, but it was around the same time. So it was like 2008 I finished that. In 2009, I did a play at the Royal Court... Theatre in London, Sloan Square, funnily enough. And um, it was a new play by Jez Butterworth, working with an actor called Mark Rylance, Mackenzie Crook. And um, 
it was a new play called Jerusalem. We didn't know what it was going to be, how it was going to go. And it became what has been known to be one of the greatest plays of the 21st century. It had a sellout run at the Royal Court. It sold out the West End. We finished that West End run, we went to Broadway. While we were in New York, I again seized the opportunity to say, okay, well, while I'm here now, I'm gonna maximize this. So I made sure that I reached out to as many people as possible to come see the play. I was able to get representation while I was over there. And um, so when the play finished in New York, we then we came back and did another run in the West End. And I started doing tapes with my agent then from New York while I was in London, sending them back over. And during that last run, I uh, booked a, a film with Michael Keaton and Michelle Monaghan called uh, Penthouse North. And so I left the play at that point and went out to Canada and shot that movie and then booked a, um, a, a TV show in, um, in Los Angeles called... Uh, well, I did a pilot, actually, called, called Gotham, which didn't end up going on, but I was a lead for ABC Network over there. They really liked what I'd done. And they had a, a hit show at the time called Revenge, which they then asked me to be on. Um, and that was it. We kind of moved over. I went over for four episodes, contracted. By the end of the fourth episode, they'd made me a series regular. I ended up doing 44 episodes out of, it was supposed to be four. So, family moved over and before we knew it, we'd emigrated really. I loved Revenge. Thank you very I much. I thought it was tremendous. I thought, there's nowhere else this can go. It was one of those, no, I'm sorry. They yeah. can't use another storyline. There's nowhere else this can go. Yeah. It was yeah, incredible. It was, it was perfect. I, I loved it. Beautiful writing. <clears throat> yeah, it was amazing. Yeah, Mike Kelly's a, a talented, talented showrunner, writer. Um, he created that show. I've got, I've got a lot of friends still from that show that I see regularly. Uh, we went to Emily and Josh's wedding, actually, who had played Emily and Daniel in that. They got married mm. recently. They've had, a, they've had their first child. Um, yeah, it was a wonderful experience. And, and as I say, that was it then. I was kind of... I was over there and working. I've been fortunate to uh, live and work over there. Ever since, so since 2013, we've uh, lived in or between Los Angeles and, and, and the UK, depending on what work I'm doing. So, tell us about your wife, because you're very happily married. Yes, yeah, Katie, uh, Katie Sloan. Her name is. Um, she is uh, an incredibly uh, talented uh, businesswoman, um, Reiki master, spiritual healer, uh, celestial goddess. She has a book out at the moment called Celestial Goddess Rising. Um, which has been on sale for the last year or so, she's doing really well. She's just completed the audio book, which comes out. Um, she is one of the most selfless, beautiful human beings I've ever met in my life. And I would not have had any of, been able to have any of the success that I've had had she not sacrificed a great deal of her own time to raise our children and to move around the fucking world um, and to allow me to go off and immerse myself in other people from time to time. Um, and pick up the slack, you know, um, and I try and do my best to do that for her whenever I have a break in my schedule, so we, we try and do it as a team. How old are the children? Uh, my daughter Gracie is 13, um, my son Lennon is 7. And how do they feel about Daddy being an actor? It's fun, it's fun. Gracie actually came to the show press night, it's the first thing she's ever seen me do. I mean, they know, I'm, they know about Call of Duty and they've seen the video game stuff and things like that but they've never really seen any of my work because I haven't really thought it was suitable up till this point and I know this is quite a heavy piece but she's old enough to come now and understand this so it was it was amazing for her to see it. she's starting to understand it now 
and and when they see trailers come on for things, they kind of go, oh, that's weird. We were in, we went to Smith's toy shop the other day, and as we walked in, I said, we took them out for the day on a Saturday, and I said, come on, we'll go and get, and get you a toy each or whatever. So we went in, and there was a huge poster for the new Call of Duty game and all these video games there, and Lennon was like, that's weird, isn't it? You know, so they're kind of seeing things like that, which is odd, which didn't happen. I mean, my dad was amazing, but that didn't happen, you know. <laughs> Going through your career, yeah. am I right in assuming at one stage in your life you changed, you went more politically minded and used your profession and your status and fame mm. to get some of your points out? You like I've, speaking your mind. I've, I've always been like that. I, I think it's kind of just been a spiritual uh, journey that I've been on. And one of, one of the things about opening up your throat chakra when you start doing the work is you have to speak your truth. You have to. You can't, you know, not voice it. And, and so, so wherever I've... If I've gone through something, as I say, with regards to mental health or with, with uh, depression or, or, or... I try not to get too political because I find it fucking terribly boring. Um, you know, it's interesting, though, because you are the future. Because yeah. right now, you're living in America, you're living in England, mm. and both governments are screwed. Yeah, 100%. 100%. But it's all, you know, we're not getting too deep, but it's all, it's all a game. It's all a game. It's always been a game. You know. So, There's would they ever, make good actors? I think they're incredible actors. There's only ever been two class, you know, two types of people. The ruling class and the rest of us. <laughs> and if we, um, if we all looked at each other and realised... Even at our biggest differences, we all locked eyes and said, you know what, I think we're being screwed over mm. by them. Um, they wouldn't have a leg to stand on. But they're all about separation and division. And we're all into separation and division. And even people who don't understand politics, understand sports, and so they say, there's a red team and a blue team, pick one. And we do so. Yeah. And then they lie to us continuously. But there we go. In your career, you've seen a huge change because of social media. Yeah. How has it affected you, for the good or better, um, or bad? I like, I like, I remember being fascinated with it at the beginning, the, the, the idea, because I think it was Stephen Fry, really, who got Twitter going. I remember he was a big advocate of it, and I was like, oh, well, he's great. I'd like to be his mate, you know what I mean? So I kind of went on there, and you could... Is it interesting, as, as someone in this, you know, that sphere or whatever, the idea of, oh, I can kind of follow them, be like a text with them. You know, it's an interesting interaction. Um, so I like that engagement with fans. You can do it from, you know, a distance from each other, but you can engage, you can answer questions, you can talk, you can build an audience that way. Um, it's a great way to get new projects across and things like that. Um, I think, as with everything, we must be incredibly responsible with it. Um, I probably go on it too much, use the phone too much, I'm sure we all do. You know, nobody likes to look at the screen time report at the end of the week, do they? It's a bit... It doesn't make for nice reading. Um, but, yeah, as a, way to, you know, as a way to engage with people, it's, it's great. Um, and as a way to get voices out, it's important too, you know? Working in America, we've got the strike, which is, I think, coming to an end, yes. but quite fearful over AI. Mm. And have you had an opinion on this? Well, I've, I've been, you know, with, with doing the Call of Duty uh, video games for the last like five, six years now. So I've been part of, um, of that world, of the computer-generated world anyway. So I've been scanned and dental-moulded and retina-scanned and hair-scanned and <laughs> my body's in the system. My voice has been recorded in any number of ways, saying any number of things. So I feel that I'm already in, you know, that, that the horse has bolted. Do you think you're one of the first, then? 
Well, no, not necessarily, but but we but I'm definitely part of. I've I've had positive experiences with it. Like I working, my experience of working in video games has been incredibly collaborative, and and I've often equated it to the movie industry in the 1920s. It's it's a new, flashy new thing that's that's taken over what's there before. And I think the industry itself and the sales are, are bigger than Hollywood at the moment in what we sell. What we sell in these video games each year is way more than the biggest Hollywood blockbuster at the moment. Do you know what I mean? It, it's just billions and it's worldwide. Yeah. And so I think as with every industry, we, we, need to be, we need to be protected. Actors need to be protected. And that's what SAG are doing at the moment. And I'm very, very grateful for what they're doing. I've been a member of SAG now for... For over, Which is what? Uh, the Screen Actors Guild. Uh, the Screen Actors Guild, uh, and, and they're, they're together with AFTRA. So it's the same as equity in this country. But one of the powers that the Screen Actors Guild have in America that we don't have here is that equity in this country for actors as a union is, not, is voluntary. And so you, not everybody signs up. In fact, quite a low percentage of people sign up. Whereas in America, to get on a set floor, you've got to be a member of the union. Otherwise, you can't go to work. And what they've been able to do over there is say, okay, every actor that's worth the salt isn't going to work on Monday and won't go to work until you give us a deal. So very grateful for that. But I think, you know, AI will be part of the industry in some way. And I think as talky actors going into movie actors had to adapt their performances to move forward as an artist, as, you know... All actors have done over time, all performers have done over time. You're going to have to find a way to work with it. Otherwise, you'll be put on the scrap heap. And I'm not prepared for that to happen. So I'm going to find a way to work alongside it um, in a way that is fair and open to everyone. I don't think the argument is anti this. We don't, you know, we don't want AI making its own films because it can make content, but it can't, make, it can't mimic the human soul. That is something that is untappable. Even the greatest minds on this planet can't ascertain what that is. So AI certainly won't be able to do it. Talking to Barry Sloan, where does music fit into your life now? Hugely. Hugely. It's still, it's still a huge part of everything. It's still a huge part of my character development. I start with a playlist for every character. I start with songs of the time, songs through their life that would really? be prevalent. Really? So you... So talk us through Yaza. What did you do? Um, well, for Yaza, I'll let me get it up on here. I'll have a little talk. So I'll, I'll start, you know, what would be their... This is great radio, this isn't it, when I'm putting this on. But you'll see here, so I've got... So I have my own playlist here, right? Yep. So I'll go down, you can see I've got some Rolling so Stones. So on, on his phone is Yozza Hughes. Yeah. So these are songs from the time. These are the songs that I... That I not, I've not spoke to Bleasdale about it or anybody, but these are songs that I think, at certain points within Yozza's uh, life, would have meant something or would have been part of, you know, because in his pomp, in the, probably in the late 50s, um, mid 60s, you know, he would have been, or you know, mid to late 60s was his was his prime, you know, and he would have been successful, and he was off in Saudi and making money and out with the women and being a, you know, being a charmer and all this, and so there's a lot of that that type of music in there, and then, you know, there's some there's some stuff from the 40s and 50s with his childhood and things like that, and and then I'll try and bring it into as we get closer up towards the 70s and 80s, the songs start to get darker and the, you know his tastes change as his life changes. And so, and I'll use some of them pre-show 
in the dressing room just to kind of get in the vibe just of it. Just to get really. the vibe, that's incredible. Yeah. What about you um, making music yourself? I still play, uh, I still have, uh, I'm a bass, bass guitarist is my main instrument, um, so I have bass guitars around the house, I've got guitars. Uh, my son's now in, we've been in drum lessons for coming up to a year now, so he's only seven and he's got a year's drum under his belt, so I've called him Lennon, I've got him playing the drums, I'm doing all I can for him at this point. Um, so yeah, music's a huge part in our house. My, my daughter Grace is a, is a wonderful pianist. She's she's playing piano all the time. We have a lovely piano in ours. Um, so we just and, and you know my, and as I said before, Katie's a, a, an incredible artist as well. So there's always art and music flowing around the house. Tell me, I've done thirty six pantos. When I've been in a happy panto, I have dreadful dreadful depression mm-hmm. because you've been together with a family. Yeah. You've got. I, 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 can, I could start crying when I think of the talent mm. and the stage set mm-hmm. and the people putting the show on mm-hmm. and the writer. How will you be at the end of it? Um, I, it's always a loss. You know, I always, I always take the last night. On, on stage particularly, I'll take, take a moment as I go. And I always think of it as putting the character to bed. You know, you kind of... It's, it's, a, it's a loss. It's a, you know, um, it's a, it's a death in some ways, you know, without getting too much, you know. Especially if you play the character for a certain amount of time, it's like, okay, well, that's it. TV shows can go on a bit longer, but you live them, you breathe them, you try and humanise everything you can. And, you know, the best thing about something like Yoss is I'm incredibly honoured to do this, and who knows if there's any life beyond this, and whether I'll be able to do it or, or indeed will want to do it. Um, but it, other people get to embody it, and so... Uh, I'm, I'll miss the cast, you always do. You get very, you, you, you get a, a very tough exterior in this business. You make friends quickly you, and you move on to something else and then you make more friends. And, 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 the and the you, show business friendship, 100%, it's very but unusual, you, but they, Yeah, but they always... We haven't seen each other for years. No, you just pick, you pick up. You just pick up. 100%. It's, it's and there's a shorthand, yeah. you know, you all understand what it takes yeah. to, to be in the business. And yeah. so you go, yeah, okay, I, I, I get it. The night I was in... You went off stage after a standing ovation, yeah. but you came back on and you yeah, never yeah. seen you do it like it. You <laughs> threw your arms in yeah, and, yeah. and screamed yeah. with, was that because of the reaction of the audience? Yeah, I mean, the, the audience reaction was incredible, but it also, it'd been, we'd been rehearsing for five weeks up to that point and we'd been building for that night. And I went home that night with, with Kate and I was quite emotional when I got home. Cause it, I mean, you just didn't, you're in that world anyway, you've built to something. Um, and there was just a, you know, kind of put a lot of pressure on myself taking this role and doing it in Liverpool yeah. for people from Liverpool, you know, to it's play a such big, a role. Because you know if they don't like it, they'll tell you. Oh, 100%. There's no way... And quite earth. rightly as yeah. well. There's no way they will hold back. They wouldn't do it in the West End. They'd no. Clap and go no, exactly. Oh, it was night. great. Then slag it off outside. There's an honesty yeah. to this theatre. Yeah. yeah. So what's the future for Barry Sloan? Um, you know what? My family... Is, is key, always has been. Every decision will be made around what's going to be beneficial for us going forward. That's what we'll do. And whatever fits into that, um, I'll make work along the outside of it. Um, you know, there's a new Call of Duty coming out um, November, which is great. We're very excited about that, Modern Warfare 3. Um, I've got an incredible show coming on ITVX in February called Passenger, which is set in a little village called Shadow Vale up in the north. And it's like, it's kind of like Stranger Things set in the north of England. It's wow. really interesting. Yeah. Fantastic cast. Um, that's going to be a big one. Uh, I've just finished filming uh, season five of The Bay. Finished that last week. Tremendous. 
Oh, thank love you, mate. It. Love it. I just love it. Yeah, it's a and great show. And what a great cast. Yeah, it's brilliant. Yeah, Marsh is actually coming yeah. on Saturday. She's going to yeah. see the show. Um, Tremendous. Yeah, I love it. I love it. I'm so, so Has it done there. well for tourism there? I think so, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it looks, it's a great place when I go. I don't get to see it. I see a hotel and set when I go to Morecambe. But yeah, it seems to be doing a lot for it. Yeah, so, so that and a, and a couple of other things which are... Um, in the pipeline. Um, yeah, yeah. As, as actors always say, I'm not allowed to say at the moment, but there's one that's very exciting. Yeah. When I can yeah. finally talk about it, it'll be good. Barry, to finish you off, I always ask when somebody like you, advice for anyone that would love to go down your road? Um, first and foremost, believe in yourself. Be fearless. Be fearless. Just know that, like, it's possible you know, there's no limits to it. If you if you want to achieve something in this business, go for it. Don't have anybody tell you you can't do it. You walk into a room and they should be so fucking lucky to get you in their project. Just know that every time you walk in. You're, you're the only one of you on this entire planet. The only thing that separates you from a million great actors is your synapses and how you read that script. That's it. And if you don't sell you, you're selling nothing. So don't try and put yourself away. Bring yourself to the front and you'll do it. Thank you so much for joining us on our podcast. Why not subscribe? You know it's free. So join us and tell your friends. It's great going on walks and doing whatever you want to do and then putting P-Price on. We've got a back catalogue of over 100 interviews. Join us. Subscribe. It's free.